Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, the left shark of cycling podcasts. I'm Greg. Normally, I'd be joined by Matteo, but uh, Matteo is moving house. He is uh, picking up his stuff and putting it in boxes and trekking it across the cold, cold city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Instead, uh, I'm really delighted to be joined this week by... Our good friend, our technical correspondent and consultant. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten that. Ian Schmidt rejoining me. Hey, Ian. Hey, Greg. Thanks very much for having me back. Yeah, not at all. Glad you could do it. Glad you could fill in. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to have some special time with just the two of us. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be good times. We're gonna we're gonna bond. Um, and what we're gonna do is. So before we get started, I just want to acknowledge really quickly that uh, this past weekend uh, was indeed opening classics weekend. There was uh, the Omloop Het Neuesblad and the Kerna Brussels Kerna uh, races, and they were very exciting. Uh, but we're not going to talk about these uh, races this week. We hopefully have something uh, really exciting uh, planned around classics stuff for the next couple of weeks so stay tuned for that Ooh, but yeah yeah you should be excited. I'm excited well just just hold on to that because it's gonna knock your socks off all right but until Excellent. then uh we have ian and him being our our technical consultant and correspondent i thought we'd talk some tech so how does that sound i to like you? that oh, yeah good. i'm really into that awesome awesome so i think that what we're going to talk about is so over the last couple of years and it's it's sort of accelerating there's been very much this the beginning of this encroachment of things that have been more traditionally considered mountain bike technologies into the road and cyclocross kind of scenes. So I think we're going to talk about that. And we're going to focus, I think, on one particular uh, technology because it's, it's one that has sort of been around for a while on the road and is yet kind of taking a little while to really achieve full penetration and that's going to be tubeless tires so i thought that you could tell us a little bit about tubeless tires how they differ from tubular tires or from clincher tires which is probably what most listeners are and most people are familiar with and right. yeah so so i guess why don't you start with the basics what's going on with with tubeless tires and you can start from the mountain bike side that, that might be sure helpful. sure so a lot of people, I would say at this point, probably the vast majority of serious mountain bike riders, everybody that, say, rides a bike um, more than once a month or so for mountain bikes off-road, they're using tubeless because it's way better. And some of the major ways that it's better is that you can run lower pressure, you don't have nearly as many trouble with flats, and mm, it just seems to be a lot more robust sort of all around, both um, for grip and a lot of other issues. So why is it that you can run lower pressures with a tubeless system on a mountain bike? Like, why would that be? Right. Well, so the punctures that tend to happen when you're at low pressure, for most of us, for example, when I don't inflate my tires before a, a commute and I pinch flat, is that the pinch flat happens when the pressure is low and you hit something with the tire and the tube 
gets pinched against itself and it tears slightly and it looks sort of like a snake bite is how probably your mechanic will refer to it when you take it into because the you have up. those those distinctive two holes right yeah yeah two little penetrations it looks like um and your tire didn't get actually stabbed by anything it just hit itself and the rubber sort of sticks to itself so what tubeless does is it is wait for it well there's no tube that's the tubeless part right so and yeah go ahead well, I mean, that covers it, really, doesn't it? There's no... Yeah. You can't pinch a tube if you don't have a tube. The problem, of course, right. is that you need to have some other... You know, it becomes more complicated holding the air in, doesn't it? Right. That's exactly the issue and why it hasn't really been a technology that has been used until recently, because you have to make the whole interface between the rim and the tire totally airtight. You also have to make all the typical penetrations that you'll have for spokes and nipples through the rim bed. You also have to make that airtight. And so it involves, frankly, just tighter tolerances that until recently the bike industry just didn't regularly pull off. Hmm. So, and that's, but, but nonetheless, this has been around for a much longer time for yeah. mountain bikes and, and for not mountain so much bikes, for the road. No. Um, and in fact, of, road, of course, it's still still not at all standard on the road, whereas it is, as you said, you know, serious mountain bikers use it. Yeah. Um, on the road, you don't actually get as many of the benefits because you're not wanting to run low pressure. Frequently out on a mountain bike, I'll be running, say, 28 pounds in a tire. Mm -hmm. I know that pros, when they're racing cross-country, even at the World Cup level, they're using down to like 22 PSI, which is just crazy low. There are hardly any reasons to do that on the road. And normally in a, on a road bike, you want to run higher pressure just because you're not trying to make up for imperfections in the surface. Mm -hmm. Some of the positive implications of being able to run lower pressure is that you have a lot better cornering. You can have a lot more supple tire and so as you do find imperfections in the road, for example, going over a, uh, a manhole cover or something, a lower pressure of, say, 85 PSI for a standard cyclist is going to grip better, hold better, and feel better than, say, 110. And by the way, if you're running your hires at 110 on clinchers, don't do that. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure. I don't know about you. Probably, uh, I'm not the best person to take tire pressure advice from on account <laughs> <You're> of <not. laughs> on account of I am quite a bit lighter than the average. So, if you're running lower pressure, wouldn't that make them slower due to you know greater rolling resistance? It depends. Is the complicated answer? The short answer depends. is no. Uh, in fact, if you look at the tables of the independent groups that are testing tires. Actually, other than, say, track tubulars, which have no flat protection and have the lowest rolling resistance of anything, the lowest rolling resistance of modern tires being tested is among tubeless tires, which is really amazing, but, and, and totally surprised me, actually, Yeah. but as it turns out, there's a lot of friction between a butyl tube that you use in a standard clencher tube setup 
and the tire itself and the rim bed. By getting rid of that, you're getting rid of this constant source of internal friction. Mm-hmm. And so actually rolling resistance is better. So even even with, uh, so most tubeless systems, as I understand it, the at least the custom, the, the systems that are designed to be run, the tires that are intended to be run tubeless are not something like, mm-hmm. like stands that you're kind of just doing. Uh, these tires right. typically have somewhat stiffer sidewalls. Is that right? Or am I thinking of the old, the old mountain bike UST standard? I say old. People oh, still right. Use them, but... Right. Yeah. Um, it depends on tires. And unlike a clencher system where basically any tire, tube, and rim is going to work, tubeless systems are notoriously finicky. And in fact, I can say, because I'm the tech consultant, I guess, um, <laughs> that the critical issue is not the wheel. The critical issue is the tire. And if you have the right tires and sealant and the right rim tape, you can make, I would say, 97% of any clincher wheel sets totally tubeless, just fine, no problems. And this is I at own- road pressures? Yeah, absolutely. I've got four sets, I think, that I've run over the two years, tubeless, and they are not, quote-unquote, tubeless-compatible rims, mm-hmm. and I have never had an issue of any sort. Oh, that's really Like, literally, zero. Um, that said, there's a very limited list of tires that will do that. I would say the majority of tubeless tires, road tubeless tires, you do want to use with a tubeless compatible wheel. But this is one of those situations where if you get the nicer tires, I would say you might be glad. Hmm. So how come this is... All right. So so first of all, I guess we can establish that right there are some advantages going tubeless. So you do actually on the road, you get lower rolling resistance right Mm -hmm. and you could make an argument and you can run lower pressures and still have you know really good rolling resistance and low pressures are good because you get better grip um Mm -hmm. and then another one i guess you could make right is that you you could make a case for safety because when you have when you have a a flat or or something like that clinchers can be problematic with the tire kind of going everywhere and the tube and and absolutely Yeah, there are a variety of races that I won't run clinchers in, a standard tube clincher, just because if you get a flat, for example, there are some situations that happen just because of the courses on certain race courses where you're guaranteed to be going 45, 50 miles an hour downhill. If you flat the front wheel at 50 miles an hour, you're going to have a really bad day and you're probably going to call your dentist. Hmm. Yeah, assuming that's actually my my personal rule of thumb for safety on a bicycle is is it the sort of thing that'll make you call a dentist or is it minor? Yeah, that's the line. Yeah, yeah, that's that's expensive stuff. All right, so we've got these advantages. So and and you know you're telling me it sounds like it is more complicated, but but still it should be worth it. And yet, you know, even though uh, you know in mountain biking it's it's pretty well accepted. And mm-hmm. maybe easier now. Maybe you can tell me if this is true. I guess the impression I get is, you know, you were just talking about and getting into. So, why hasn't you know, given that this is not universal, but uh, 
Right. You know, anyone who takes mountain biking seriously is on a tubeless system. How come that hasn't happened in road? And you mentioned you mentioned fit issues. Now, is that an issue for mountain biking and people just deal with it because it's so much better? Or is there something else going on there? I don't quite know. I don't think hardly anyone in the industry really does. Mm. There's been a lot of people, a lot of organizations, even Shimano, the 800-pound gorilla in the industry has tried and has actually had to back off and say, you know, this is not catching on. Um, the issue, I guess, what about five years when tubeless really came onto the road scene pretty strong was that mm -hmm. the tires weren't up to scratch. They just weren't. Well, unfortunately, Shimano Shimano partnered. So, so this is something I actually do remember was that Shimano mm -hmm. decided they were going to do a tubeless system, right? And so instead yeah. of just doing kind of a mix and match and just willy-nilly go for it, because you need tighter tolerances, as I said, and, and the tires are pressure, sorry, and the tire pressures are higher, they wanted to do an actual system. And, and uh, it's, okay, so we've got a big component maker makes lots of wheels and all sorts of other things, and we just need a good tire partner. And uh, Shimano looked around, and the tire partner that they settled on was Hutchinson. Oh, right. The reaction of every bike mechanic everywhere. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So it's worth noting that Hutch's and tires uh, are just not just not the have most, had their ups and downs. Yeah, they're not the most popular. So that might have been reason. I, I interrupted you though on that. But yeah, so, no, no, so it's totally was... true. I was trying to avoid calling them out, but they had well, a couple really bad years. I'm sure that you know they're perfectly you know, that they have some good tires, it's, it, but, but they're not, you know, when you think of who would you want as a tire partner in, in something like this? Because Shimano makes many, many things, but one of the things mm -hmm. that they don't really seem to make, maybe they make pro tires, but I think they just relabel other things. They don't really do tires. So you need a tire maker, and the, the two people you'd want to talk to would be Continental and Michelin, really. Yes. Uh, and, and neither of them seem to have a whole lot of interest in tubeless. Right. Which is really odd, because if you think about it, Michelin, well, there's this other sport we don't talk about that has <laughs> two-wheeled vehicles at high speed. Everything is tubeless, and if you're not running Michelin on these particular sorts of two-wheeled high-speed vehicles, you're not even in the game. Mm -hmm. You're really not. They have the best tires. Everyone knows it. There's no discussion. That's true so, in, in, I believe, now I'm not a car racing guy, but I believe that's also true in car racing. That's my understanding, yes. Um, I'm an honest working man. <laughs> Don't have enough money for four-wheeled racing. Um, but yeah, it just continues to surprise me that Michelin hasn't gotten into the cycling tubeless game more seriously, but they really haven't. Well, I can tell you one thing that I do know, actually. I hope this isn't too much of a diversion. But um, in motorsport, Michelin does not give away its tires for free. Right. People, it sponsors zero people. It sponsors zero people. People come to them and get their tires. And Michelin's attitude is that, because I, re I read an article about this. I can try and find it. I, I don't think I'll be able to because I read it a couple years ago. But essentially, Michelin's attitude in cycling is the same, is why on earth should we go to you and, and get you to ride our tires? We have the best tires. We know we have the best tires, and, and you're going to want to come to us. And and. As a result, no one <laughs> is knocking on their door. Hardly. Right. Um, since it's a slight diversion, I'll note the only teams to successfully run clincher tires over the last three years on the pro circuit have been running Michelin tires, and they're all French teams. Actually, quite successfully. No hmm. problems at all. Last year, 
the French team that was running clinchers had zero punctures at Perry Roubaix, which is amazing. Yeah, it's impressive. So, okay, so I guess we've established that Shimano tried it in and and tried to get something going. They they didn't have a really big, you know, it was eight hundred pound gorilla company, as you say, but they didn't have an eight hundred pound gorilla tire company on board with them. Right. And and neither of those really big tire companies in the bike world seem to be that interested. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Because there there aren't even though you know what's interesting is I recall and, and, and again we'll get into this, I think that Michelin has a couple of the tires that, that people doing their own tubeless systems actually really like. Right, um, yeah. But nonetheless To the best yeah. of my knowledge, Continental still has not even released a tubeless Mm-hmm. Yeah, like Continental hasn't released a tubeless cycling tire yet. Right. Uh, they might not even on mountain. Ah, uh, sorry, skinny tires. Skinny tires. Right. We're still talking skinny tires. All right. Right. Well, of course we're talking skinny tires. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is one of the few things. So neither uh, neither I nor our other regular host Matteo, uh does a lot of the fat tire stuff. I mean, I've ridden mountain bikes. I like them a lot, but I don't have one right now. Yeah. Um. Don't you need one of those for your commute these days? Lately, the roads are pretty clear. It's actually snowing tonight, so we'll see what happens. Okay, so that's on the road. So would you say that you think people should be... What, what would your advice be to the road racer? You know, if you if they don't have oh, tubeless, should they be um, considering well, tubeless? You know, I am a longtime tubular evangelist. I think they're better i think they're faster i think they're safer um i think often if you're looking for deals the tires are cheaper you know i i love tubulars yeah yeah (laughs) however i have over the last i guess year or so probably bought my last set of tubular wheels certainly bought my last tubular tires going forward unless i start racing track again all my wheels will be tubeless and that's mm. a massive step to me but i think especially for people who aren't as uh, comfortable gluing their own wheels and dealing with the the mess of tubulars and if you don't already have those wheels you know tubeless is probably better cheaper and faster all three so for me, so I've been mostly, for the entire time I've been racing on the road, I've been racing on clinchers. So mm-hmm. it, it, for someone in my situation that way, should I be really going to tubeless or considering going to tubeless instead of sticking with my, my tubes if I'm not going to go to tubulars? I would I would think so. I think there are a couple tires that I wouldn't stake my reputation on, you know, they'll work with any clincher wheel. I would get close. I, w- I think the high-end tubeless tires on the market right now are so mm-hmm. good, and they're so grippy, and they last so long, and they mount on every single rim I've tried them on, and I've tried them on the eight, nine rims now from different manufacturers. Not I just don't see a good reason not to be on tubeless at this point. Hmm. Well, there you now. Now you've heard it, everyone. If you're if you're still doing clinchers, maybe go to tubeless. All right, so that's the road. Well, right. Let's get to to still skinny, but but now kind of knobby tires. So tubeless has been making a few more inroads into cyclocross. Mm-hmm. It's still not 
Um, I, I'd say it's still the minority. Yeah. Between standard clinchers and tubulars and and tubeless, but there's definitely been more of an effort, I I think, by manufacturers to to push tubeless for cyclocross. So that's interesting. I want to know what you think about that because because it seems to me that cyclocross is kind of an an interesting challenge because you're looking at really skinny tires but at really low pressures. Right. So that might make it extra hard. I don't know. What it, it did, actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, probably four years ago, a bunch of different companies, um, I think just about everybody in the market other than Continental and Michelin, got excited about tubeless for Cross. About the same time Shimano was releasing those wheels, and well, everybody which, got burned. <laughs> ask yourself which discipline are Continental and Michelin not really invested in with respect to tires. But anyway. Well. <laughs> Cyclocross. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that one. So there were a bunch of these cross tubeless tires that came out. And frankly, they were all terrible. Every single mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. And the issue was that yes it's a lot like mountain biking you have a higher volume compared to a 23 millimeter road whatever yeah you have higher volume you want lower pressure your you know traction wins races flat out wins races in cross races but because of that um you're just hitting a lot of bumpy stuff and every week well not every weekend, at least every Monday, there'll be a lot of people coming into the shop saying, you know, I, I burped, quote unquote, there's air quotes, you can't see them. Um, they burp their tires as they're remounting, as they're jumping stairs, whatever they're doing. Um, the seal just wasn't robust enough. Sure. And so tubeless got a really bad name really quickly. Well, and it's worth pointing and out it was in deserved. cyclocross. Yeah, well, well in, in cyclocross, I, I just want to briefly mentioned that you you said you know for mountain bike tires that you're usually running something like you know 28 pounds of pressure well that's in a mm-hmm. 2.3 inch tire in cyclocross right. you're running that those same 28 pounds of pressure or lower in a 33 millimeter tire yes so that seems Absolutely. like a like it's there's you know there's not a lot of air there there's really not and tubeless um best case scenario for tubeless is much like a a car tire you just have a lot of air in there and it's this volume of air that helps hold everything together Mm -hmm. and cyclocross is actually kind of worst case scenario absolute worst case Mm -hmm. because you have a small volume of air and low pressure and you need this thing to keep its shape and keep those beads up on the sort of bead hooks yeah so that went really badly and the tire company designers went back to the drawing board i'm sure michelin and continental chuckled a little bit (laughs) and about two years later we started seeing some actually really good tubeless tires come out but there's this reputation that is going to take a while to make go away that tubeless doesn't work in cross sure and tubular is better for cross absolutely how much better is it a little bit maybe two psi better Mm -hmm. if you think 
you're going to win a race because of a 2 PSI difference, you should be on tubulars. If you don't know what that means, or do know what that means, and you know the, it's not really going to change your placing, you should probably be on tubeless. Yeah. Personal right. opinion. But, you know, that's what I get paid for. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, well, I guess the number one thing that always worries me about tubeless is, you know, especially for, I don't know, for crosser or or whatever, is dealing with, uh, well, it seems like you always have to have some kind of sealant in the tire. Yeah. So that that mm -hmm. seems kind of like, I don't know, messy and sort of sort of difficult. And then there's you know getting the tires to seal to the rim. So I, apparently you can actually get them to seal with a pump. Is that true? But most people like yeah. to use a compressor, especially if they're not a perfect match. Right. So sort of silly admission. I don't own a set of skinny tires that are tubeless compatible mm -hmm. however i have four sets of tubeless wheels in my garage right now <laughs> um, and i have not used a compressor to mount any of them nor have i used soap and water or anything else really nice tires don't have these problems they really don't well people you know who to talk to if you want to uh <laughs> send all your emails and all your tweets to ian <laughs> For all of your yeah. all of your tubeless tire mounting needs, okay. So so maybe that's uh, enough on the technical uh, side of this discussion. Uh, there's a lot of depth that we could go into that that maybe we'd best not for now. So yeah, yeah I, well, I think there's the the working man's and working woman's kind of perspective on this to consider as well, which is so we haven't talked about the other mountain bike technologies because I, I i don't want to open all of these cans of worms that are right. just there are many there. cans there are there many cans everywhere yes there are cans everywhere <laughs> they're all filled with explosives oh, dear. and worms two two combinations you're just gonna get covered in that worm was a really goo. great video game for a lot of years all right all right all right yes <laughs> back on topic back on topic <laughs> yeah I, I i actually remember many fun many fun uh, fun matches in in that game worms all right but anyway so uh, the trick is though that so we've got these mountain bike technologies encroaching and so we've talked about tubeless tires a little bit mm -hmm. uh, and and to going tubeless isn't actually all that complicated or expensive right like you no. know it's it's pretty Why much not? like doing doing clinchers but there's yep. other things out there too. So there's disc brakes, and oh god, we talked... let's not talk about that. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not going to go Whatever down that rabbit do. hole. Don't open that one. <laughs> we're not going to go down that rabbit hole. But there, you know, but that's happening, right? Like, and, yeah, and chances, absolutely. it's it's looking, you know, without editorializing on it too much, it's looking like that's going to happen on the road. The disc brakes is a thing that is going to happen, and it's probably going to mm -hmm. stick. It might not, but but. I suspect it will. I think it'll sooner or later. Yeah, I think it'll grab pretty well. Grab on. So to yeah, catch on. <laughs> Much like the brakes, uh, you know. And Ooh. then there's other things too. So on the very first episode of the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program, uh, me and Matteo talked about this this suspension fork that had been spotted uh, on Tim Johnson's bike, and someone oh, else, yeah, 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 someone else I know uh, rode one of those in Ooh. a couple races uh this fall uh 
So, so there's that's out there too. So I guess so. The question that this leads to is, we're seeing the beginnings of of potential encroachment uh, of -hmm. this mountain bike technology into road and cyclocross, and with that is coming complexity. Right. And with that complexity comes Comes, wait for it. Yes, increased prices. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Like, do you think that that's a good reason to maybe consider curtailing these things to the rules, or is it something we're going to have to deal with, or or how how bad is that going to be? I don't know. Um, I was looking through the the product catalogs for some major manufacturers, and it's really looking like the cost implications for new stuff is actually pretty close real close actually um retrofitting starts to get more expensive Mm. and this is this is more along the lines of like disc brakes right so disc brakes talking about yeah go ahead well disc brakes don't look too bad right now in terms of the cost so Mm. you know just as an example you've got cannondale's making a cad 10 the full-on just cad 10 race bike like crit bike and and they have a disc version of that with hydraulic disc brakes at like a little over two thousand dollars yeah which is at like standard kind of bargain well maybe not bargain but that's at your sort of midpoint race bike out 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 of the box race bike right yeah yeah but then we you know if we're looking at things in cyclocross like like suspension now i've actually you know I, i should just be clear in some of the writing I've done previously, I had this website, uh, this Tumblr blog, um, a block, which uh, was really bad. But I-, I talked a fair bit about tech on that one. I don't really, when I do post on Standard Double, it's not very technical. Um, and I made a post and maybe a link to it, actually advocating for experimentation in rear, well, in for suspension systems and cyclocross because it's mm-hmm. the rules allow it, you know, but. If you look at mountain bikes, just look at the difference between a hardtail mountain bike, the, the difference in price between a hardtail mountain bike and a full Absolutely. suspension mountain bike, and your head will explode if you aren't familiar yes. with the difference. Because yeah, what, eh, yeah. 40%, 50%? It's huge. It's huge. It goes from, you know, it, the difference between like, oh, I can totally get one of these and, and consider racing it to like, no way, I'm not buying into that. Right. So, yeah, and I think that's a legitimate... I don't know. It's a legitimate concern that for me that people would be priced out if, and especially mm-hmm. if, you know, it's one thing if the courses don't change. Right. Right. Because this is, this is in that episode, in that first episode of WHBP, you know, one of the things we talked about was, you know, what if, you know, suspension takes off and cyclocross and, and the courses get kind of mountain bikier. You know, right. there are concerns in terms of like, I don't know, the purity of the discipline or whatever, but there's also, you know, then it maybe it becomes necessary to have suspension to be competitive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then what? Because the technical stuff, you know, on the road, uh, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of ranting, and, and I'm, I'm not good. saying this as someone who's anti uh, against the tech at all. I like this stuff, but... Mm-hmm. The the difference is that on the road, there's this – so for one thing, there's this kind of pernicious, pernicious thing um, in in the cycling and in the racing world where people think – and you know, the manufacturers are pretty, pretty eager to push this of like you need 
latest tech X, Y, or Z yes. to be competitive. Yes. And the reality is on the road and in cross, you really don't. You know, the differences are real, but they're marginal. They're very small. Mm -hmm. And in the biggest, you know, the best thing you can do is work on your skills and work on your motor. But in the mountain biking world, that's, you know, that's, it's still true that it's predominantly about technical ability and, and, and about fitness. Yeah. But the technical component is much more critical. It is. Yeah. I have, I've seen people. I mean, well, personally, I've, I've lost podium places because I was on a hardtail mm -hmm. and we got to a downhill and the guys I was with left. The guys that were behind me got to me and then left. It, it was just ridiculous. It was like nine, ten plays. Sorry, I'm getting horrible echo right now. Don't worry like about nine it. Nine or ten places that were just gone and I never saw them again. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, so that does, you know, it's something to keep an eye on, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully, so so I, I don't know that I'm advocating for anything. I don't know whether or not, you know, the UCI or, or USA Cycling or anyone should say, no, no, no. Well, I mean, I, I think that USA Cycling is just not going to uh, make any particular rules because you can race practically anything <laughs> in a USAC cyclocross race as long as... You know, except for a pretty limited suite of things like, you know, you need UCI legal stuff in the UCI level events like national championships and whatnot right. and qualifiers for them. Um, so that's not a problem. But, but you know, the UCI could potentially step in and if, if they see a problem. And they have actually made rules as ostensibly intended for reducing costs uh, for privateers and and other right. and other people that's that's we'll why that's well why that worked on some other episode yeah yeah exactly well that's for example the reason that the uh uci limit on tire width is 33 millimeters uh down from 35 uh, a few years ago is exactly that supposedly that's the justification i don't really know how <laughs> i don't really know how well that's worked out but but never mind that's the reason for that for that rule so that could happen it might not i don't know I guess I'm saying watch this space. Yeah, absolutely. I I think it is going to be interesting, um, especially in cross, as this stuff comes over, because cross racers have to have so much more gear. Mm -hmm. If you're a particularly serious cross racer, from what I was seeing at work, like two bikes and well, you don't wheel sets. you don't need two bikes if if you're gonna get if no, you're gonna get more stuff, get but more what wheels. Is standard, mm -hmm. right? But I, well, what I was seeing, and admittedly, in an area that has slightly higher income than a lot of other parts of the country. <laughs> a lot of dentists. <laughs> a lot of people in the tech industry. Sur but, surplus of dentists. In this. <laughs> Sorry. Right. But, you know, it's, it's really common to have a couple bikes and have two or three sets of wheels across two bikes. And you don't need it. It doesn't hurt, though. It sure doesn't make those people go slower. <laughs> no, it might not make them go a lot faster. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. It often uh, doesn't. It often on doesn't. the road again. I there's just not a lot of gear swapping because all the setups tend to be robust enough to take pretty much any road course. Road courses are road courses, namely they're flat, mostly smooth ish. 
Mm. But on, on the cross side, you know, a lot of these tech changes, whether it's disc brakes, whether it's suspension, uh, Trek is doing some very interesting things with the decoupled. Oh, design. that's actually a really good point. I, I didn't mention that um, when I was talking about what I'd written about the the suspension. But yeah, so Trek is actually, uh, I'll just put this on the record. Trek is already selling a cyclocross bike and a road bike with rear suspension. They do not market mm-hmm. it as rear suspension for very good, probably focus grouped reasons. But do not believe them when they say it is just a decoupler. It's a rear suspension system. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. I rode one. It blew my brain. I was expecting, you know, a bike with a little more compliance, like a gussied up version of one of those mm-hmm. uh, Cane Creek Thudbuster seat posts. Yeah. No, this thing sticks to the ground. It's nuts. Yeah, I, I laugh because uh, when I see, you know, specialized kind of marketing, well, you know, if they when they want to compete with that, they throw one of their cobble gobbler you know suspension seat posts <laughs> is on a bike the best name and in the bike industry in the last two years <laughs> it is kind of amazing it, you know and that's kind of their competition and, and, and it makes me laugh a little bit because it's it's not remotely the same thing no. but <laughs> yeah it is a carbon leaf spring instead but so yeah the implications for what can happen when you start getting technology that enables essentially just much more capable bikes in cyclocross uh, are much greater and in cyclocross you know we're seeing this discipline really exploding in popularity at least in the united states which means it's an opportunity you know we're seeing cyclocross specific group sets and parts and all that stuff so Mm -hmm. there's you know a lot of opportunity to sell into this market which by the way the survey is in Cyclocross is also a better educated and somewhat wealthier market than road. So, yes. so that's like, if you think road, it's funny given the reputation of cyclocross as being more welcoming. Let's hope that sticks around because yeah, the demographics we'll are, are, are that it's, it, there's even more money mm-hmm. in cyclocross. Uh, I think that might be, I, I want to give you a last word, Ian, because I think we should probably wrap up. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I think it's going to be fascinating to see how, you know, what else are they going to think to bring over from from mountain bikes onto skinnier tires? <laughs> dropper, None of the stuff that's come posts. over in the last few years has has been worse. Mm. You know. Yeah. Um, you know, on some more technical cross courses, admittedly amateur cross courses typically aren't real technically challenging in terms of like well not on a mountain bike bike. right mountain bike you know that stuff is serious business even at the amateur level but you know i wouldn't be at all shocked if at the world cup level we started seeing like dropper posts because some of those descents are serious business dropper posts at zonovan and things like that Mm -hmm. well specifically the one i was thinking of that sand drop is crazy yeah so yeah, I'm I'm excited. It's, it it feels like for a long time, all not a long time, a decade maybe, mm-hmm. all the technical innovation stuff has been over on mountain bikes, and that stuff's starting to come back over. And I think, in this will be my final word, I guess. You know, the stuff that's coming over is making bikes more robust. It's making them so you can take them on a lot more terrain. It's making it, um, it just seems like in some ways it's maybe more inclusive. My next bike is almost certainly 
going to be able to take 30 millimeter tires. It'll have disc brakes. It'll have you know, much more robust shifting. And a lot of that stuff is coming over from the mountain bike side. And that means that I'll be able to take a road bike on dirt, deep gravel, all sorts of stuff that I can't take my current bike that's limited at, say, a 25-millimeter tire and vaguely finicky shipping, shifting. Yeah. You know, I, I think maybe in the long view, this will make it so the privateers with one road bike actually won't need a rain bike with fenders and a race bike with tight tolerances and a cross bike. Um, a local who's a friend of mine who races for uh, whatever team, um, he actually has one bike that he has raced and placed, podiumed, I think, in both cross races and road races in the last year at the Pro 1 level. You know, he's he's doing well on one bike. And that gives me hope that maybe there might actually be more inclusion. There you go. But who knows? There you go. That's, who knows? Maybe that's our closing note. Get, get one bike, race road in the summer, and cross in the fall. One bike. All right. Well, and gravel grinders. Yeah, well, Don't forget gravel grinders. <laughs> that's, there's a whole episode waiting to be had on gravel grind. Which, by the way, I'm sorry. I will close on this. Gravel grinder is the worst term ever. <laughs> Worse than cobble gobbler. Really? Uh, well, okay. It's better than cobble gobbler. But it's pretty bad. Second worst. All right. Second well, worst for sure. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Working Man's Honest Bicycle Program. Mm-hmm. I am Greg. With me this week has been I've I've been joined by Ian Schmidt. Thanks thanks for coming on this show, Ian. <laughs> Absolutely, Greg. Thanks for having me. Ian, uh, people can can reach you, can't they? Where can they reach you? Uh, they can reach me at uh, Twitter is going to be G Y E N Y A N E. It doesn't pronounce to anything reasonable. Um, I think that's probably the best way to reach me. If you have questions about tubeless setups, you want to know which tubeless setups to avoid, I have opinions and time. Hit me up. <laughs> yeah, and hey, if you want to contact us at the show, if you have opinions to share, if you want to tell us that we're silly, if you want to suggest topics, if you have questions or comments, uh, by all means, get in touch with us. You can reach the show on Twitter at underscore WHPP. You can email us. Uh, our email address is honestbikeprogram at gmail.com and by all means find us on iTunes uh, and please leave us a review it helps the show a lot and thanks for listening and we will see you again next week so long so long